Do you have any goals in your life? If not, why? If yes, what are the hindrances that you are experiencing getting to your goals? What changes need to take place? In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And it seems that people are slowing him down. It seems like he's constantly being interrupted, but they are not a hindrance to Jesus. For him, they are opportunities to teach people, to teach his followers, and to minister to people. For example, last week, uh, some parents brought their children to Jesus to be blessed, and the disciples, his closest followers, uh, some of them uh, will be the apostles, uh, tried to hinder them. Jesus said, no, 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 stop, stop, don't, don't hinder them, for such is the kingdom of heaven, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Today, a fellow is going to come along, uh, he's known in the Bible as the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with the passage, you always have to be very careful when you're familiar with passages, because the tendency is to check out, you're like, I know this one, I got it down, God doesn't have anything to say to me. And yet he may want to say something to you new or revisit something he has said to you before. Uh, We're told in the passage today that he was rich and he was young. And and Luke tells us he was a ruler. He was some sort of probably religious type ruler. And we might say in our kind of language, he was a good man. He was an upright, moral kind of guy. And And he approaches Jesus with the most important goal in the world. He wants to know how to get eternal life. He wants to know how to get to heaven. Now, that's a silly question in American culture. Everybody's like, forget about it. We're all going. You're a good person. Don't worry about it. It, It's easy. Everybody goes. But Jesus is going to directly challenge that thinking. He's going to go right after it. In fact, Jesus is going to indicate to this rich young ruler uh, that he's not going. In fact, he's going to tell us that it's impossible to go to heaven without God, yet he's going to show us the way to overcome this hindrance uh, of, of our not being able to get ourselves to heaven. And so the title of our message today is, When the Impossible is Made Possible. If you're taking notes, there's three things or three sections we want to break this passage into. Number one is the question. The question. Verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came. Verse 20 is going to tell us that he's a young man. That's a term that usually uh, indicates someone who's between the age of 20 and 40. Now behold, one came and said to him, said to Jesus, Good teacher, what things shall I do, keep that thought, do, in the back of your mind, that I may have eternal life. So basically he says, what do I need to do so I can go to heaven? Verse 17, so he, Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, and usually when the Bible talks about life, it's talking about eternal life, keep Some versions say, obey the commandments. Now, as Jesus has been walking along, the religious leaders have been trying to trick him, and Jesus keeps turning up the heat on them. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the heat's being turned up on me as as we go into these latter passages as Jesus heads, heads to the cross. And they've been trying to trick him. I'm not of the opinion that this man is, because Mark tells us that he actually came running to Jesus and knelt before Jesus and asked Jesus the question. So let's think about this. Here's a guy, he has a good life. He's got power, he's got money. He's rich, he's young, he has a good job. Some of the young ladies are going, is he single? Um, I might be in the market, you never know. Does he have a brother? (laughs) Yet he knows that there must be more to this. He knows that something, although it seems like he has his act together, something seems to be missing. And as we'll see, that he was obeying most of the commandments, yet eternally he felt like he was coming up short. 
You just had that, you know, that knowing feeling that sometimes we get that, that something is just not right. And that's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing to start to question where you're going in the next life or start to question, are you actually right with God? He wants to know what to do to get eternal life. Interesting, in verse 23, Jesus is going to call it the kingdom. In verse 25, the disciples are going to call it being saved. So in this passage, all of those things mean essentially the same thing. It's interesting that he calls Jesus good teacher. Now, some people want to say that it's flattery. I don't know. But Jesus works with him to show him that he is not the good person that he thinks that he is. That's a problem for a lot of people in America. We think we're so wonderful. Of course, heaven would want us. It's going to be a great place because we're there. But Jesus is going to prove it a little bit differently for us and for this man. Like many people, he believes that that doing certain good things gets you to heaven. Now, I want to stop right there. I believe in doing good things. I believe in being honest. I believe in all of those things. But he thinks that's what gets you to heaven Yet, we have to understand the word good. The word good in the Bible basically means that you are perfectly and morally pure. How many of you be willing to attest that you're perfectly and morally pure? Do we have any takers on that one? Yeah, not, not too many on that one. In other words, the absolute goodness, 100% perfect righteousness required for heaven is only possessed by God himself, which means that that goodness, that holy, morally pure goodness and righteousness that is required from heaven has to come from the outside into us, and it must be given to us by God. Now, let's be fair to this young man for a moment here. He's way ahead of most people. He fears God. He respects and sees the authority of Jesus, and he is concerned about the next life. So let's be honest here. Want a little honesty here? Ready to be honest? Friends, right? Family. Compadres, whatever you want to call us, right? How much, how much thought do we really give to life after death? I mean, isn't it fair to say that most of us, and I know I'm this way a lot, that we're far so consumed with the affairs of each day, we're so far, we're so much consumed with, with what's going on in our lives that we really don't have a lot of time to, to, to think about the future. We're not too concerned about the future. His problem comes down to what he says, what must I do? But that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches like with the children. He says we must receive eternal life like a trusting child. Perhaps Jesus is beginning to see the the weakness in his faith. He comes to Jesus confident and independent. What must I do? Ta-da, I'm here. What must I do? And yet Jesus has repeatedly taught us in Matthew's gospel that we are not to come independent, but we are to come dependent. We are to come depending like a child and and trusting in Jesus. So Jesus basically tells them, you know, obey, keep or obey the commandments. And interesting, the guy's kind of like, that's not enough. So he's pressing Jesus for more, which is a good thing. It's a good thing to want to know more. It's a good thing for us because we get to hear it. So he said to Jesus, which ones? Jesus says, obey the commandments. He says, which ones? I want to raise my hand and go, dude, there's only 10. I mean, come on, right? And he goes, and he goes, which ones? And so Jesus then runs through some of the commandments with him. Jesus said, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. That's the eighth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment. Now, remember a lot of those things in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, even if you think those things, you've already already sinned. He says, honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment. Interesting, he kind of lays that one on at the end. And he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus uh, 19.18. 
The young man says to Jesus, the young man said to Jesus, verse 20, all these I have kept from my youth. (laughs) I want to see this mother and father, what they think about that one, but that's that's another story for another day. Obviously, he's single, ladies, because he didn't say ask my wife. I'm not saying ask his wife. So he says, he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? J.B. Phillips' paraphrase says, what more do I need to do? Very interesting. He he asked Jesus, what does he need to do? Jesus tells him, and he's like, okay, that's fine, man. I get it, Jesus. But what you're not understanding, Jesus, is something is still not right inside of me, and I know it. On the outside, I realize I'm this good religious boy. I look like I got it all together. And, and, and yet I know something is not right. And so what Jesus did is he gave him some of the ethical external commandments from the Old Testament having to do with the way we treat people. I'm sure if we met people, we said, what do you think of this guy? He's a great guy. Treats people nice. He's a, he's a, he's a good man. Clearly though, he's disappointed in Jesus's answer because he's looking to Jesus for what some today might say. I want some, some new insights. I want some certainty. I don't want a bunch of old commandments that I've been learning about since I'm a little kid. I know all that stuff. And, and, and I just, I just really want to know Jesus. I really want to know the story. But this is the place where Jesus wants him to be because Jesus is going to do what? He's going to turn his focus from the external, what I do for people to the internal to Jesus is going to turn him into what's really wrong is what's going on in your heart. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what what you're thinking. And as we'll see in a bit about what you are worshiping, Jesus is going to take him into his heart. And as he does that, by extension, he's going to go after our hearts too. Are you ready? Some of you don't look so sure about it to see what's most important to him, to see what's most important to us. He's going to look into this man's heart. He's going to do a Jesus x-ray of the man's heart, and he's going to see which God is ruling his life. There is God of the Bible, capital G. There is little g, punk gods, that, that, that rule our lives. And so he's going to challenge the man, are you worshiping the true God or are you following some other punk God? That's because Jesus knows without the true good God ruling our lives, we will always lack. We will always doubt. We will always feel unfulfilled. We'll have that gnawing sense of something is not completely right. This man, we are going to find out, uh, is wealthy. He, he had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of stuff. And so he was very much about, uh, you know, attaining things. I remember when I first started my first company, I, I started with $2,000 in a beat-up van and uh, was nearly bankrupt of everything I had saved after the first year. And all I kept thinking was I wanted to have a million dollar company. That was like all I cared about. That was, that became my, my God, my, my thing. And it only took about two years and I had a million dollar company. And then I was like, this is it. This is boring. So I thought, ah, I need a $2 million company. (laughs) And then very quickly got a $2 million company. I thought, ah, I need a $3 million company. And pretty quickly I had a $3 million company. And no matter what I got, still wasn't enough. I wasn't, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. Then I was like, every time I would reach my goal, I would think, I thought this would be the thing that would bring me true happiness. And what Jesus does here is absolutely brilliant. He mentions what the young man is good at and he skips where he's lacking. So remember, he was very selective in the, in the commandments and uh, Jesus skipped where he lacked in commandments one through four. The first four commandments have to do with God. So he didn't tell him, you know, the God part, you're not so good at. The 10th commandment has to do with coveting, wanting what's, you know, what somebody else has. Do you know what that is? 
what your neighbor didn't get recently, get a new car, and you were like, oh, I got to get a new car. That's coveting. (laughs) You want what other people have. So he doesn't touch upon those two things, those things where, where he's not really good at. Now, a lot of you are sitting here going, well, see, there you go, Pastor Jim. That's my nice Jesus. He would never, ever talk to me in a way that would make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> he is setting this dude up big time. He is setting him up. He is helping him to see that looking at what good you are doing, and it's good to do good things, is not the problem. That's not the problem. Jesus is is helping him to see he, he is asking because no matter how much wealth he attains, that's not the answer. Jesus isn't stroking him by saying, oh, let's look at the things you're good at. He's not stroking him at all. He is setting him up to challenge him. And the challenge will come down to this, both for this man and for you and for me. What do you want more? What do you love more, God or something else? Now, the word for loving something more than God in the scripture is the word idolatry. Now, we think that's ridiculous. We think idolatry, that's people who live out in the woods in the middle of nowhere who are worshiping, you know, wooden totem poles or something like that, or, you know, or they're, they're false gods or something like that. But the scripture also talks about idols of the heart. Things that we love more than, than, than God himself. So when I was a young man in my pre-Christian days building my business, what was the idol of my heart? Success, you know, money, the approval of my friends. So they would think that I had made it, that I knew what I was doing. And so Jesus is really going after this, but he doesn't leave it there. That brings us to number two, the call. The call. Jesus, verse 21, identifies the problem. Jesus said to him, now I just want to pause right there, and and in Mark's account of this, Mark says something very, very helpful. Jesus uh, says, Mark says, he looked at him and he loved him. You see, always telling people stuff they want to hear is not loving. Sometimes we have to, it's good to encourage people, yes, but, but sometimes we really have to challenge one another in what's the next step? In what are the areas of our life that, 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 that we're, our faith is not going to grow unless we deal with such things? So, so Jesus is not going to challenge this guy because he can't stand him. He's not going to challenge this guy because he's like, oh, this guy is so full of himself. I can't believe it. You know, he's not going to do that at all. It's going to be because he looked at him and because he, and because he loved him. And so Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, very interesting word. Very interesting word. If you want to be perfect, remember we said you have to be perfect to get into heaven. If you want that, some versions say, if you want to be complete, for this man's, the way he's thinking, he's not in the right place yet. The way he's thinking, it might be Jesus could be speaking, but he's thinking, if I really want this void in my life to be filled. If you want to be perfect, go. Action. It's going to take some action. It's not just going to happen on its own. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, we have to understand this is really one complete thing. We're going to see in a minute that that this guy was very greedy. He, He loves stuff. So Jesus says, here's the problem. This is what's missing in your life. You love your stuff so much, you need to get rid of it. If you want to follow me with all of your heart, you're going to have to get rid of that false God and you're going to have to follow, then follow me. Verse 22, if you have your own Bible, take your pen, circle verse 22, put an arrow out to the margin and put a sad face. This is seriously one of the saddest verses you could ever want to read in your life. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Some versions say grieved, grieved to the point of of being heartbroken for he had great possessions. You say, why, 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 what's up with that? 
Well, let, let's put it to an R kind of thing. First off, he had one of those storage units. You know those storage units? They're, they're just, they, grow, they grow like weeds, don't they? <laughs> I remember when they first came out, we were like, what a dumb idea. Yeah, we thought cell phones were dumb ideas too. So, um, but, but, so he had a storage place. Um, his car probably never saw the inside of the garage. He had a, some of you are like, oh, that's me. Uh, he, he had a lot of different stuff. But this is, this is why this is such a scary, sad verse. This guy looks, God become a man in the eyes. And he says, listen, you want everything that heaven has for you? If you want everything, this is all you need to do. Get rid of your junk. Get rid of it all. Give it to the poor. And come with me. And he looks God in the eye. And he says, no. I don't know about you, that terrifies me. It makes me realize that I could say no to God under virtually any circumstance and why I need to stay close to him. Because he, if he could do it, I certainly could do it. Now, most people, we look at this guy's life, they would be content with this man's life. But he was not. Why? Because he, he knows, right, that his faith was not wholehearted. And, and here's the reality, and it's not always easy for people to swallow, but, but, but a half-hearted faith is very unfulfilling. It really is. It, the Scripture calls it one foot in the, in the faith and one foot in the, in the world. You're kind of divided. And, and the Scripture says that anybody like that is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And so he's there. He's there. He's trying to, he's trying to do both. And Jesus puts his finger on the young man's problem and that, that uh, he needs to take a break from his money and his possessions. Why? Because they have become his God. They have become his God. Now, Jesus is not teaching that wealth is bad unless, like this young man, it rules your life, unless it becomes your God. And, and so here we get an example of someone who has the, the things that we would think of, you know, as Americans that we would want to have, and yet he can't kick that empty feeling. Maybe that's you. I know that empty feeling. Maybe you just, you're, you're here and you're like, I, listen, I'm, things are really, you know, I know the news on the television always seems like the sky's falling down, but, you know, my life is actually going okay. But, but man, there's just something gnawing at me. I can't figure out what it is. You see, in the Ten Commandments, God said, you shall have no other God before me. And that's what his problem was. He had another God before God. And so when God said, this is what you need to do to fix the situation, he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stick with my own God. But there's probably an even bigger thing now, knowing at this young man, Jesus says to him, sell all that you have, come and follow me. That's the real point here. Jesus almost saying, listen, you came to me and you said to me that you wanted to be perfect. This was a, Old Testament guy coming to Jesus before the New Testament was written. And perfection in the Old Testament carries the idea of an undivided loyalty to God, of a full-hearted obedience and devotion to God. In the New Testament, it has the idea of God giving you through Jesus Christ his righteousness. We call that imputed or, or given righteousness. And, and Jesus says, all you have to do is, is get rid of your stuff. And there's an element of trust there. Trust me. There's an element of trust there. And follow me. The unfortunate problem was, is there was a massive competition in his divided heart. Most of us know what that's like. Your heart, you're, you're, you're like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. Your, your heart has just got this battle going on in it. And, 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 and this man's heart, it's, it's money versus Jesus. But but here's the important thing to know uh, 
being a radical follower of Jesus is a condition of eternal life. I'm not talking about being some weird religious person. I'm just talking about if you really want eternal life, if you want heaven, that you need to be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Not, not to mention what he considers to be his noteworthy religious efforts. I've kept all of those commandments. I've obeyed God. Now Jesus is showing him that stuff is just shallow. That is just window dressing. That's not, that's not really what it's about. And again, in truly one of the most heartbreaking verses in the Scripture, he, he went away sorrowful. Again, I can't overemphasize that. He looked Jesus in the eye. Jesus offered him everything. And he said no. Maybe some of you have had that offer made to you in your life, and you have said no. Today I want to make it to you again. Jesus is offering you everything. Everything. How do you answer him? Are you grieved because you've just got too much going on? Or are you going to answer him yes? See, Jesus nailed the problem. That's why he's grieved, because his identity was in his possessions. Part of being a follower of Jesus is simply this. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Everything flows out of that. His identity was in his possessions, and that's what leads him to say no. His God is challenged. His identity is challenged. And so he says no to eternal life in heaven. That's why I think Jesus left out the 10th commandment, do not covet, because this young guy just wasn't ready to see it. This is a struggle for many people. They have, you know, their, their world over here. They, they know some stuff about Christ and, 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 and they're struggling to kind of put these things together. And it's possible to do it, but you've got to be willing to allow God to be God and not these other things. You know, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I'm, I'm cool with this. I don't know. You know, I hope, hope these other people are listening, but, 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 I, but I got all this down. But, but you know that, that if you once followed some false god, he returns, doesn't he? Yeah, he keeps, they're relentless. They keep coming back and coming back and coming back and, and, and asking for your allegiance again. I remember with one of my customers one time when I told them I had become a Christian, it used to be when these people used to call me day and night. And I said, um, we need to adjust your prices. And I said, if you call me on Sunday, there's a $600 surcharge. To which they said, you're a crook. To which I said, no, I'm not. I just don't want you to call me on Sundays. <laughs> and they said, you risk losing the business. Well, we still have it. <laughs> and we're about to sign another five to seven year contract with that company. And I'm sure they call us and I don't know whether we charge them or not. I'm not at that. I'm not in that. So how, how does it work with money? Money's a big thing in America, is it? Money's a big thing. How does it work? Well, some people constantly worry about money. You know, it's the funny thing about money is, as I know people who have none, and I know actually quite a number of very wealthy people, and um, I don't know who worries more. <laughs> the, the people who have no money are worried that they're never going to have enough. And the people who do have money are worried that, 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 that somehow they're going to lose it. So everybody's worried about money. So I, that's why I say I'm not trying to raise money, but every time you give money to God's work, what are you saying to God? I'm trusting you with tomorrow. I'm, I'm trusting you to bless my business efforts, my work efforts, all that I do, so I can be generous with the money that you have given to me. Some people envy other people. They're just so jealous of what other people have. 
I used to be jealous of this friend of mine. He had a shore house. And then Hurricane Sandy came. Then I wasn't jealous anymore. <laughs> it's, it's always, always something. Some of us are now, 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 now that the knife is in, we'll twist it a little. You ready for that? Some of us are, are spending to feel good. We deserve it. We're thinking like, hey, I, I'm not the type that comes home and, and eats a half, half gallon of ice cream to feel good. I'll just go to the store. And so we do that. We, we spend money to, to feel good. Some of us are, nah, oh, no, 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 I'm a saver. Well, are we saving just to feel secure? Is that the only reason we save because that's our security? Mark eight thirty six and 37, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This young man was willing to exchange treasures on earth for treasures in heaven. Now, if you're here with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm so glad that you're here. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. Please, please, on the way out, say hi to me. I'd love to meet you. And um, just, to, just to learn about you, hear a little bit about your story. And uh, always, always very interesting to me how people get here to the church. So, uh, so thankful for that. We were all once in that boat. And, or, or if you're new to following Jesus and you're just, you're just getting your feet wet, you're learning, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Here we have, um, <laughs> here we see something that happens when people talk to the real Jesus. See, see, <laughs> The world is full of the false Jesus. So let's say you want to know more about Jesus. Let me give you a great place to start. Go to the Christian bestseller list of Christian books, bestseller list, and look at the 10 best-selling Christian books and do not buy one of them. <laughs> do not buy one of them. Because those books are full of just baloney. I almost said a bad word. <laughs> They're full of baloney. And, and, and so... We have to really meet the real Jesus. You see, everybody thinks Jesus is like, oh, he's always so nice, lovey-dovey. No, not that at all. He he is not Mr. Lovey-dovey, whatever goes. Jesus is both very shocking and very demanding of people. He will shock you with what he says. I'm sure this man is sitting there like, what? You want me to do what? And he's very demanding of people. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ gave it all, gave all of himself for us. So that entitles him to demand all of us for him. Not just some of us, not just part of us, but all of us. Now, here's the interesting reactions to that. Some of us hear that and we're like, I'm, yeah. I'm there, man. I'm excited. I'm on the Jesus train. Others of you, you're probably insulted. You're like, who does this guy think he is wearing his blue jeans and not tucking his shirt in in a warehouse telling me that I'm not going to heaven because of I think it's what I do? Listen, I'm just ripping off material from Jesus. None of this is mine. <laughs> So your, your beef is with him, not with me. And to be honest with you, if you're angry or insulted, I'm really not that worried about you. Because I know that Jesus is getting close. I know that he's getting close. And that's why you're uneasy with that. And I, I'm cool with that. The people that worry me are the people that are indifferent. Eh, whatever. I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. Oh, it will work out in the end. That, that, that will happen. You see, this man makes the critical mistake that many people do. He thinks that what he lacks can be added. If I just add this to the regime, you know, it's like, you, like you go to a personal trainer and you're like, you know, you know, this part of my body's not as worked as the rest. And you're like, oh, we'll just add this exercise and we'll, we'll make it better. That's not the way Christianity works. It's not something that you're just going to do to make it better. 
Following Jesus is not something that you add to your life. It's not even something that you do. It's who you are. And it's who you trust in. It's who you identify with. So, so if I ask you today, if you're, if you're going to, do you think you're going to heaven? You said yes. And I said, why? You say, because I'm a good person. God would say to you, that's self-sufficiency. That, that's trusting in yourself. Jesus said you have to have a childlike faith. People ask me, do I think I'm going to heaven because I'm Pastor Jim? I'm like, good Lord, no. <laughs> I'm going to get to heaven. I'm Pastor who? <laughs> I'm going because I've trusted in the life of another. And the one whom I've trusted in is perfect. And he's righteous and he's holy and he's good. And it's so worthwhile living my life for him. Fail as I do. It's worth every second of it. So are you self-sufficient or are you trusting like a child? You see, um, Jesus goes after this with the young man and he goes after it with you and I if we really want heaven. And it really comes down to this. We must be willing to change. And the young man wasn't. Now, let me be clear on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. You're here today. You have some false God that you worship. You must be willing to change. You have some sin that you have just given your life to. It's, it's just, it just rules your life. You must be willing to change. But you don't have to be perfect. Because one was already perfect in your place. You see, there's a big difference between having it all together and thinking you're okay and someone who must who and who is willing to change. So if you are today, you're not a Christian, you want to come into the kingdom. You come into the kingdom willing to change with God's help and then allowing him to help you. But you must put your trust in his life, not in your own, in his death and resurrection not in yourself. Number three, the conclusion. Verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now notice he didn't say it's impossible. He said it's hard. Because most people who are rich, they trust in whom? Themselves. And again, I say to you, it is easier, and and I think he's using humor here, great bedtime story stuff for the kids. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel, camels are big, to go through the eye of of a needle, needle is small, right? You all need your glasses and a magnifying glass to put that thread through that needle. Or you just do what I do, you just go, Pam! It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been around church a long time, you've heard that you might have heard this illustration that in Israel, there was this thing called the eye of the needle at Jerusalem. And there was this little kind of arch. And if you really took a small camel and you bent him down, he could actually fit through and under that. I think that's just more baloney. That might be true, but that's not the point of what Jesus is making here. Jesus is making the point of that it is impossible to take this large animal and thread a needle with him. Absolutely impossible. And that's what chance we have of getting ourselves into heaven. (laughs) Jonathan Edwards said, a man can no more get himself into heaven than a cobweb can catch a falling rock. And this is the same thing here. After peering into the young man's soul and having an intervention with his soul, Jesus uses a great illustration demonstrating the danger of fault, of trusting in false gods. He's going counterculture here because in their culture, wealth was considered to be a blessing from God. So in their culture, really, there really wasn't a middle class 
uh, there was very wealthy people and very poor people, and, and, the, and the poor people thought that the people who were wealthy were wealthy because they had the blessing of God, and the people who were, who were wealthy thought, well, of course, that's why God loves us. But if you're wealthy in pride, it's very easy to forget that. And when they do, people will begin to think that they're saved because they're successful or because of their good works or God blesses them because they're good people. And Jesus says it would be easier to put a big camel through the eye of a needle than those people to get to heaven. It's very, it's very interesting how people think about rich people, isn't it? Especially billionaires. Do you ever notice in the United States of America, there's some billionaires that people hate and there's others that people love? Because <laughs> you know, the hated billionaires and the love billionaires. I guess it depends upon which political party you belong to. And we have a tendency to see the very rich people as being privileged. Jesus sees them as being underprivileged. Jesus sees them as being ruled by money and not by God. But here's the beautiful thing about these wealthy people. Some people call them fat cats, but we'll call them fat camels. Here's the beautiful thing about God. And if you're here today and you think I've done so many wretched things in my life that God could impossibly bring me into heaven. Essentially, Jesus looks at all of us today and says, you know what? I can take that camel and I can thread that needle. I can do it. Let me give you a few examples. Abraham. King David. King Solomon. In the Gospel of Luke, a little rich hated guy by the name of Zacchaeus. When Jesus died, one of the rich religious leaders, Joseph of Arimathea, came to the other side, became a follower of Jesus, and donated his tomb. And the Bible is filled of of many more rich people who Jesus was more than willing to thread that needle with. But most people, sadly, are unwilling and say no. In other words, wealth used improperly, wealth obsessed over, is a hindrance to spiritual progress, even the way we think about money. Here Jesus commands his followers to use their money. By the way, notice there's no some fixed percentage here. This guy had to give it all away, said no. Zacchaeus gave away 50%. He was happy about it. But we are to use our money for the kingdom of God. Now, some people say to me sometimes, well, I have a 401k at work. Should I invest in it? I go, absolutely, yes. They go, why? I go, so when you retire, you have money to serve God with. Why else wouldn't you? Now, some of you might sit here and go, okay, Pastor Jim, you're always teaching us that context is king. The context here is that this command is for this young man only. I totally agree. I totally agree. And so when he said, you need to get rid of some of your assets and and follow me, if you went, woo, then this passage is probably for you. (laughs) It's probably for you. Because here's the reality. Remember, we saw early in Matthew's gospel that the way into heaven, the gate was what? It was narrow. And the way into destruction was wide and it was broad. And here's the reality. You can't carry your possessions into that little narrow gateway. You can't bring your camel in. Verse 25, when the disciples heard it, now when they heard what? That, that the, the people they were brought up to believe that were rich and blessed by God couldn't get into heaven or would have trouble getting into heaven. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? My mother and father, they taught us these were the people that were going to heaven. But Jesus looked at them. Some versions say, fixed his gaze and said to them, with men, this is impossible. Well, what did he just say is impossible? Well, what was the question? Who can be saved? And he said, with men, it's impossible. 
It's impossible. So in other words, a man or woman can do nothing to get themselves into heaven. Can do nothing to get themselves into the kingdom. Can do nothing to get them saved from their sins. He says, but with God, all things are possible. God can do it. That's a very well-known, taken-out-of-context verse that people will tell you. So if you're a follower of Jesus and people say to you, well, with God, all things are possible, I hope you hear the angels go, ah. And you say, do you know when Jesus said that? Do you know when Jesus said that? In other words, hearing how hard it was for rich people to be saved, the disciples think we don't stand a chance. And what does the real Jesus say? Oh, no, not you guys. Don't worry about a poor, poor baby. (laughs) No, Jesus actually agrees with them. Humanly speaking, no one stands a chance to be saved, to enter the kingdom of God, to eternal life in heaven. But that's the point of the camel illustration. That with faith and trust in in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the impossible can be made possible. This is a big moment for the apostles. They're actually starting to ask the right questions. Who can be saved? How can this happen? Verse 27, then Peter answered and said to him, remember Peter, usually the spokesman for the group, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And it's true they did. They left their businesses, their 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 families. They were uh, would would take would le- take a leave of absence from their families temporarily. Now, now some people say Peter's being selfish, but 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 Jesus doesn't rebuke him, or maybe he's just confused. Verse twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, "Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, you're like, what does that mean? That's that's the future time of the renewal of all things." In the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We could go into a long thing on that, but let's just leave it at this. He says, you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands... Now, not because you're like, I can't wait to get out of this place. Now, he gives us the reason. If you've left all that stuff or you've been separated from all that stuff, uh, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold. So what is he saying? He's saying you're going to get great blessings. Some of you, you don't get along great with your mother. You're like, I don't want a hundred mothers. I'm not into that. That's not what's going to happen. It's great blessings. And you will inherit, he says, eternal life. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says here, if you give up things to follow me, I will not forget you. And the things that you and I think here in this world are sacrifices, we are going to get into the next life and when they're like, those weren't sacrifices, those were investments. I thought I was giving something up, but I was investing something in the next life. I was investing something in the kingdom of God. And you will receive an eternal home and, a, and an eternal family. You will live in a place more wonderful than you've ever seen, and you will be rich in God. And in verse 30, Jesus closes with the great reversal. Those who seem first now will be last. They will be excluded from the kingdom of God because they were followers of false gods. And those who seem last now will be first because they answered the call and they set their hearts on service to the king and service to the kingdom and they had the true treasure, Jesus Christ, their treasure now and for all eternity. So let me just ask you quickly, friend. How do you answer 
Jesus' call? How do you answer the call to give up what you value the most for that which is the most valuable? Perhaps another quick story might help you to see. It's the story of another rich man. Filthy, filthy rich man. And this rich man kept all ten of the commandments in perfection. He left the riches of heaven and came down to earth and offered himself to the spiritually poor so that anybody that would be willing to give up their sin by turning to God and putting their trust in him could have an inheritance in heaven could be saved, could have the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, Jesus Christ gave all he had to you and me. And as we gaze upon the crucified king, as we see him dying on the cross in our place for our sins, it makes sense that there's nothing we can do to get heaven. It makes sense that we don't earn heaven. It makes sense that we receive heaven as we respond in faith and trust to what we see him doing and to prove that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. He raised Jesus from the dead. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Today, friend, if you never have, turn to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. He will help you. We will help you. We're all in this together. And the riches of heaven will be yours. That's when and how the impossible will be made possible. That's when Jesus Christ will become your true treasure. And that's possible by the grace of God through your response of faith and trust. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and he will become your treasure today. Well, let's pray.